half days entirely depend on set lunch time? All right then. My friend used to work in finance for a company that generally treated him pretty poorly. He was paid far less than he knew the company could afford and was generally overlooked. They had been working from home for a while because of COVID and then were allowed to come back to the office three days a week and work from home for two days. Whilst working from home, my friend loved missing the commute. Being an early riser anyways, he decided to ask his boss if he would be allowed to start work at 7am and finish at 3pm to get to and from work quicker. And because the office was open that time anyways, it was okayed, so he started working from 7am to 3pm, which he then extended to his work from home days as he enjoyed having his late afternoons free. Now, so that everyone was available at the same time, lunch time at the company was set up at 1 to 2pm, no leeway. One Friday, my friend wanted a half day to begin the start of a long weekend, and because he would usually finish work at 3pm, he asked for a half day, if it could be even earlier for him at around 11, since he would be putting in more hours before lunch than anyone else. No, he was told, half day means finishing at lunch. So he had to work from 7am to 1pm, despite it counting holiday-wise as a half day. That annoyed him for obvious reasons until he found a great benefit to this. Working home on Fridays, he started booking mornings off work, meaning he didn't have to work until 2pm. Then he worked for one hour from home and that was it. His colleagues thought it was genius, and his boss had very firmly told him that half days revolve around lunch times, so he couldn't do anything about it. So my friend enjoyed a few months of practically doing no work on several Fridays for the cost of half a day at a time, and eventually he left and moved on to a job where he was treated a lot better. I don't know what the boss expected. You're basically giving him an excuse to work for one hour a day for half a day's pay every Friday? That's a fantastic start to your weekend, dude. Sometimes corporate rules are literally so stupid you just have to take advantage of them until they get changed, right? What's going on, guys? It's your boy Scrub here, back again with another video. Hope you guys are having a great day. I know I am, and today we're going to be taking a look at the subreddit Malicious Compliance. You guys tend to really enjoy these. I have fun making them, so I figured why not do another one. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get right into it. Shady boss lied about my position to keep me from policy allowed benefit from years, and I found out it changed everything. A few years ago, I worked at a big retail company and had for many years. Eventually, I went through enough grad school education to get my license to work at a higher level with much more pay, more job satisfaction, more responsibilities, fancy title, the like, but the job market was rough. I stayed on with my company to work in a floater position where I would cover a large area and work at all the stores within that area on a rotating but a regular basis. Eventually, I wanted to get a staff position where I had a single store assigned and the area was huge and the furthest store was over 100 miles from home and that's exactly where I was assigned to train for the new role. It was a rough store. Folks in my position were robbed and assaulted at gunpoint, the neighborhood was very unfriendly, and the volume at the store was among the highest in the state. Staff turnover was, as you might expect, extreme. Well, after training, I wasn't really being scheduled to float to other stores. Once a month, at most, I was asked to be scheduled a little more diversely, since most of the stores in my area were much closer to my home and didn't require four hours of driving a day. Boss man told me that I was the only floater experienced enough to handle that store. I didn't buy it, but what can you do? Well, a colleague told me about the mileage reimbursement policy. Floaters working at a store more than 50 miles from home can file for reimbursement of mileage over 50 miles each way. Can't even include meals. So I filled out a few of these and sent them to my boss to sign. 
He didn't quite refuse, but he never actually signed and filed them. I suspect as soon as I left the office at our district center, he tossed it out. Bossman tells me later that they must be lost in the system, and eventually the same colleague showed me how to fax those same forms to accounts payable, bypassing the district bossman, so I started doing just that. One day, Bossman calls me in a panic. He wants me to stop filing the forms, and I ask to be floated closer to home, but he won't budge. He tells me he needs me at the miserable store and promises he'll make me a stay staff roll at that store if I promise to stop faxing the forms. Staff rules are a promotion and usually come with better pay and a few other conveniences, so I agreed. He says there won't be a pay bump right away and it'll come down the road, and that never happened. Two years later, the situation at the store became too toxic for even me. I asked to step down from staff to be a floater again and be allowed to float other stores, but the boss man says that I'm already a floater and never was in a staff position, but that he can't let me work at other stores because it's better for me and the customers if I stay there for familiarity. Floaters do not get scheduled to stores exclusively, so I'm being single out because they're desperate to cover the dump of a store. I'm livid, so I start looking and it takes me months, but eventually I find an opportunity to make my dream career transition. And I put in my formal notice and that's when the fun started. Remember the whole mileage reimbursement policy? Well, I kept meticulous track of all my shifts and there's no statute of limitations baked into the policy. So I start filing out those reimbursements retroactively to cover every single shift from the last two odd years. I skip the meal part since I don't want to go through all the effort to find receipts. I had a friendly store manager sign off on them and I started sending them to accounts payable directly again. I didn't fax them all in at once, but for each shift in my final two weeks, I faxed a few dozen in. We still have fax machines in that line of work, believe it or not. I figured that I had nothing to lose and worst case scenario, accounts payable declined the form. On my last few shifts, I started getting checks from accounts payable. Not added to my paycheck, but sent to me directly. Mileage reimbursements are non-taxable income, so this is all tax-free money coming to me. It must have taken a while for the charge to show up on the balance sheet because a few weeks after my final paycheck, I got a call from my now former boss man and he was not happy. He got some big loss prevention manager involved and together they started saying I was breaking some rule by requesting the payments. And they specifically claimed I was ineligible because I agreed I wouldn't be eligible in a staff position. They threatened legal action against me if I didn't remit the full amount back the same week. But I had an email chain from when he said I was never staff and always a floater, so I referenced the email chain before letting them know firmly that because I was lied to, our prior agreement didn't apply and I was eligible all along. Corporate policy as confirmed by HR agreed with me, so I let them know I wasn't returning a single penny. In the end, the reimbursements amounted to well over $21,000, and I transitioned into my dream job. I could say I would trade that money back for the time I lost commuting to the miserable store, which was four hours every shift, but all the pressure motivated me to making the best career move of my life. The greatest satisfaction of not only professionally surpassing my old boss, but getting to tell him that his lies cost him way more on the way out is priceless. I also shared my story and method with many colleagues who were being told wrongly by the boss man that they didn't qualify for this policy. This guy just sounds like the worst worst boss ever, bro. Making you drive four hours each shift to go, like, probably get robbed? No thank you. And he doesn't even have the decency to pay for your mileage on top of it? Catch me driving a hundred miles each way to deal with the crappiest store in the area and get robbed all the time. Oh wait, you wouldn't, dude, especially if I'm not getting paid to drive there. You earned every bit of that $21,000. I was told quantity, not quality by the boss, and I gave them exactly that. I worked at a law firm that handled an extremely high volume of cases. I'm talking thousands per month, and due to the specific field they were in, the work called for a ton of motion practice. We had to respond to motions on nearly every case, after which the cases would settle, and we would be paid relatively small amounts that added up. 
To answer all the motions, we would use a boilerplate template, input a few specifics via prompts, and send it off. This would take about 15 to 20 minutes. It was a profitable scheme, and to be fair, I worked for that specific field of law. This is highly irregular and would be nearly impossible to effectively mount a counter-argument in any other field of law, which typically requires research and fast-specific rebuttal to a very specific challenges to your case. Fast forward and now the firm is taking on cases in a new field of law and they're nearly all 200 and 300,000 per case or about 100x what cases in the original field would take. We needed to draft and file complaints on these cases and to achieve this the partners insisted that our senior attorney would create a template, our paralegal staff making $10 an hour would speak with the client and then create an intake cover for each case and I would be the lucky middleman who got to input the cover sheet data into the template and generate a complaint. For every single case this new field that the firm was handling. In essence, they thought we could handle the new, complex, different field of law with much higher stakes in the exact same way they're handling our normal cases. The intake staff had no clue what they were doing and the boilerplate template was wildly insufficient for alleging in the particular facts which varied so considerably between cases, also why intake had problems. The partners thought it should take me 15 to 20 minutes to generate a complaint with their method, but the reality is I actually had to review every file from scratch, figure out what was going on, input the data myself, and make massive edits to the complaint, and it would take me at least an hour and a half to do a good job, and honestly, that's what I did. A good job. As you can imagine, something of a backlog ensued and the partners wanted to know the, what the issue was. I explained that due to the nature of the cases, they were requiring specific edits and I offered several recommendations on how we could improve our efficiency, but they didn't want to hear it. I explained that these cases were worth significantly more and even spending four or five times longer on them than our other cases was still a huge win for them. They wanted paper out. Quantity over quality, I was told. Leave the decisions to them and do what I'm instructed to do and play my part on the assembly line. Note that these partners did actually no legal work whatsoever on any case. They once did long ago, but now just watch cameras all day and complain if you're late. In a fit of frustration and rage, I maliciously complied, and I actually stayed late a few nights and banged out 75 or complaints that they had backlogged. I sent them all to the senior attorney for review with no edits whatsoever, wrong data from our team, nonsensical legal arguments, and fact patterns that were just untrue, just like I was told. About three workdays later, I got called in for a meeting about what was going on in these complaints, and the senior attorney was about one-third through the way of what I had sent him, and not one of the complaints was suitable to be filed. I told them I was doing my job on the assembly line and that the issue must be coming from somewhere else, but not from me, because I did exactly as instructed and mindlessly input the data and sent it along. They told me it was unacceptable, and if there was an issue, I should have brought it to their attention, to which I replied I tried and was not listened to, and they refused to accept defeat and attempted to change data collection, change the template, to no avail. It got hostile. No matter what they did, their system didn't work, and I continued to comply with their insistence that I do my job and my job only. It was unbelievable how stubborn these people were. I quit that job and moved on, and I've been tracking some of the cases online, and they're getting dismissed on motion. Quality not quant- or quantity not quality, eh? Not how I practice law. You know, there's certain jobs where, like, the details don't really matter that much. Like, if I mess up reading a Reddit post, the world doesn't spontaneously explode. Like, life goes on, right? But I feel like if you're a lawyer and you're filing lawsuits, that's one of those jobs where, like, details really matter, you know? You can't be surprised when you're losing all the cases because you're just, like, using templates to fill out all legal information. Maybe for a $1,000 from an insurance company, but I feel like 300 grand, people are going to argue a little more.
Get a real calculator? Okay, got it. This happened more than 10 years ago. I was still in what is equal to high school in the United States, and I was about to have a mid-semester math exam. The math teacher, who was one of the worst math teachers I've ever had, said that since the exam is about solving in equations and second-degree polynomial equations, and she didn't care if we could do our simple math or not since we've been doing it for years, we were allowed to bring our calculators into the exam room. We couldn't use a calculator on a phone for obvious reasons, but otherwise there was no restrictions. It sounds too good to be true, especially from this teacher, so everyone asked the higher grade students who took her test last year if she's been doing this to previous years or not. And we found out she always lets her students use a calculator, but because she loves making the questions stupidly complex for no reason, so a lot of people got terrible scores anyways despite the calculator. Now, a little about myself, I have a special interest in science since I was a kid. About a year earlier, I joined an astronomy summer camp program, and as part of that I got myself a scientific calculator. It's way overkill for an average high school student, and I wouldn't really use it to its full capacity again until university, but it made my life in the program easier, and it's also shaped perfectly to fit in my pocket, so I've been using it as an everyday calculator to this day. However, the calculator has a build-in equation solver, and since the exam is multiple choice, that means I could finish the exam by answering the equation on the calculator and let it do the job for me. I felt a bit disgusted to bring it into the exam room, so out of respect, I decided to get myself a cheap conventional calculator from the convenience store across the street the day before the test. As per regulation, when students enter the exam room, we had to show our student ID and all of the exam tools to the overseeing teacher prior to entering the room. As luck would have it, my overseeing teacher was the math teacher. I showed my student ID, my exam tools, and my conventional calculator as per regulation demanded. The calculator was a cheap model shaped like an ancient cell phone for aesthetic reasons. It even had a fake antenna that did nothing. I didn't think much of it, but apparently the math teacher took offense in it, believing that I'm challenging the no phone rule. I tried to argue it's just a stupid calculator shaped like a phone, but to no avail. She ended the argument telling me that I could either enter the exam room right then or go back outside and grab a real calculator, but I'm not getting in with a phone. So I'm a bit pissed off, so I decided to comply. I went back outside, opened my bag, and put my calculator pretending to be a phone inside, and brought out my beloved scientific calculator, and then walked back in line to prepare to enter the exam room again. Surprisingly, she didn't complain about it at all. She made a nice remark about I didn't bring it in the first place, but then let me enter the exam room. I didn't know what was on her mind at that moment, and frankly, I didn't care. And unsurprisingly, I aced the test as a result. I'm not proud of it, but she did ask for it. I mean, it's not like you wanted to cheat. You literally went and bought a different calculator. But if they're going to insist that you get to use a calculator that's going to give you all the answers, that's really not on you. You know, like, hey, man, no no harm, no foul, right? You get an A. They think that they enforce the rules the right way. Everybody wins. But, dude, that's next-level coincidence that you happen to have a calculator to work everything out. And they demand that you use it on their exam. Director said process contracts faster and don't fuss over details. Okay, you'll lose your bonus. I work with a federal contractor responsible for buying or bundling hardware and software for any government organization that it needs and review the contract in terms of financial viability and legal clauses. In other words, we make sure that we make money and are legally covered and the contracts range from five grand to 40 million. Last year, our company went through a reorganization, aka fire people and give more work to the people still left with the company while paying us peanuts. We're a small company with less than 200 employees and trying to retain our government cost customers while big companies like Amazon Cloud will replace us in less than 10 years. The government customers love working with us because this is the only thing we do and we treat the customers better than big contractors who don't care. 
They laid off 30 people from my team of 50, so now 20 people do the work for 50 people at the same salary. We're paid by the month, not for work hours, and we don't get sales bonuses, which is an important part of the story. I have a habit of reviewing everything carefully and spending hours on each contract, and even the ones that just make us a few thousand dollars. Government vendor selection process is very slow, and they're very risk-averse, so a lot of customers start at a few thousand dollars and end up in an eight- or nine-figure contract if everything goes well. Since people were laid off, off, I was struggling with the work volume and as a result contracts were piling up. The sales director of a different team did not like me as I was slow and also catching any tricks the sales team tried to play by overpromising the customer something shady. Government clients and customers love working with me with the support I provided and it was truthful regarding our capability and drawbacks. This was something else the director hated me for since he thought I was tanking sales, however all my clients were repeating customers for over a decade. Example, sales wanted a school district to buy outdated Dell Windows laptops while the entire state was moving towards cheaper Chromebooks. Schools don't have budget and whatever they buy stays for five years and sales were offloading expensive, useless stuff to get bigger bonuses and also charged customers nearly a million dollars to provide IT support for faults arising from ancient hardware. During my conversation with the school district, I shared examples of state governments in the Northeast buying Chromebooks to save money while future-proofing the hardware. It's my job to get the best quote to the customer and develop trust to sign a 5-10 to 10 year contract. So the school district bought Chromebooks which were 40% cheaper and less than 20% of the previously quoted IT support. As a result, the sales team lost a few thousand dollars in bonuses but we bought this customer with us for a 5 year contract. The sales director got pissed as I was working on small contracts at a slow pace and reprimanded me in front of the manager. The manager did not care and did not defend me and asked why don't I follow what the sales director says and stop fussing over small contracts. I said small contracts turn into big ones, hence why I should pay attention to them as well. Mistakes in small contracts could harm us if the contract becomes big. I'm struggling at work because you gave me the job of three or four people. At this point, he's sh shouting at me that I don't understand contracts, and that he's been doing this stuff for five years, and he makes more money in a month than I do in a year, so I should listen to him and not question it. It's a bit insulting, as I lived in a shared apartment and I'm struggling to make ends meet while he drives an expensive luxury car and goes out on fancy lunches with government employees. I asked the sales director to send an email with a list of suggestions to improve my work, and he complied and said, can you not even remember what I just said in the meeting? His email said, do not review contracts worth less than 100k, and trust sales teams that the due diligence has been done. I replied by copying the manager in my email that this could create liability in the future and want him to confirm again that the sales team will do financial and legal compliance themselves for the small contracts, and I need to stop revising small government contracts below 100k with no exceptions unless told otherwise. This was gold. Cue malicious compliance. Instead of two hours, I spend 10 minutes on small contracts and voila, a backlog cleared and I'm home by 6.30 p.m. Now, a contract worth 10000 comes through and I find some issues with the contract since it said that we offered 30% rebates to our software providers. This was something we stopped doing five years ago and now we just offer software providers a 5-10% to rebate on contracts. Also, I knew the government client recently got massive budgets and was on a spending spree, and there's a high chance this $10,000 customer will become a $100 million customer, and then 30% rebates means that we have to give $30 million on top of the usual cost. But I remember what the sale director said, why don't you follow the sales director? 
and stop fussing over small contracts. So 10 minutes later, I emailed, no issues detected based on compliance check by the sales team. As I mentioned, government contracts are slow and no one cared or raised the 30% rebate issue since it was a $10,000 customer. 10 months later, the state government customer said they're gonna work with us and get at least the same or better terms for a new $50 million contract. It was the largest contract in company history. The sales director happily gave him a handshake deal that will offer the same or better terms, and the government can legally just buy more on their current contract so the sales director had no issues promising the same terms. Given the contract size, everyone from legal, IT, and finance got involved for work on one contract, and for three months everyone worked on it. The sales team was giddy that they're going to get million dollar bonuses. I don't get sales bonuses to ensure I protect customers in the company. The finance team finishes their review and said the company was going to lose $8 million and not make any money. Everyone is shocked and the sale director gave a deal without checking us and we cannot go back on something we offered. Changing contract terms is frowned upon by the government and they have legal contracts stating nothing will change. We were legally obligated to offer the government the same term for three years and the legal team says we need to take a hit on our balance sheet and swallow the loss. The CEO called a big meeting in a fancy conference room with TVs and everyone had to find a scapegoat to take the blame. Every department lead, managers, and people involved in this contract were summoned. I calmly opened my laptop and connected the display cable and open Outlook while displaying his email on three big TV screens stating I should stop reviewing small contracts while all 30 people read the email with a faint smile and I awaited the sales director's reaction. He went into a rage mode claiming I misunderstood his email and am terrible at my job. Then I scrolled down where he ignored my warning regarding the potential liability to the company and his response asking me to ignore that. His face turned white when he realized he messed up and he then blabbered trying to find some other scapegoat making racist tirades against our IT consultants in Vietnam and lost it. I was told to spend two to three hours on each contract and the company eventually figured out that it's cheaper for them to hire 20 people like me and pay us 70k every year than it is to take big losses on contracts. Our team has 40 members now, still less than 50, but enough to offset the contract volume because of the lost sales director had to pay back his previous year's bonuses and has had to claw back clauses with the company. If you screw up, you need to pay us. The sales director had to pay nearly 300k and was fired from his job. He then sued the company for wrongful termination and we heard that he lost the case and now owes another 200k in legal fees and now owes half a million dollars to the company. Yeah, this sales director sounds like a moron, dude. You need people to review contracts. That's literally an entire department for a reason. And it's probably better to treat customers well and not get fleeced and then lose your job than it is to just push through sales because you get a bonus at the end of the year. Paying back that half a million dollars probably isn't very fun, pal, but I don't really know what you expected to happen when you're just scamming people on massive contracts, dude. Also, don't really know what the IT team has to do with it at all. It's clearly your email saying, yep, ignore everything and listen to me. Why would the IT team have anything to do with planning that, bro? Anyways, guys, I think that's going to do it for the video. Hopefully you enjoyed. If you did, I would really appreciate you taking a second to press the like button. Let me know in the comments section down below what you thought. I would really appreciate it. And of course, subscribe if you're new and turn on notifications. If you like this stuff, I do post it on Spotify. If you ever want to listen to the audio without gameplay, whatever floats your boat, that link's going to be in the description. But uh, yeah, on that note, that'll do it for this video. Don't get anyone pregnant if you do make sure they're hot. And I'll see you guys next time. I'm out. Peace.